This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Apotheosis, part two. A radical turn of events has changed the world with millions of anomalous humans roaming the earth and the SCP Foundation struggling to save those that haven't changed. A paradigm shift of normalcy is occurring, and even though the Foundation is completely outgunned, they remain steadfast in their goals. We pick up from Part 1 with the Foundation clearly losing the war, and the comic book-style action really ramps up in the tale A Farewell to Arms followed by some more world-building and discussions from the anomalous side in A New Age of Magic. We open up with a remote conversation between the members of the O5 Council, the 13 leaders of the SCP Foundation. At least one of them is completely losing hope in the wake of such drastic circumstances, as some of the affected humans are going on the offensive and wiping out Foundation sites. During the call, they are notified that they just lost two more mobile task forces, one of which was wiped out somehow by an anomalous living mountain range, and the other defected from the Foundation rather than fighting the mutants. O5-2 says that they need to divert all of their resources to focus on containing or neutralizing humans affected by SCP-3396. O5-3 replies that it doesn't really feel like the SCP Foundation to be putting most of humanity into camps and labs, but 2 retorts that it's still just containment of anomalies, and nothing has changed except for the scale and the budget. There won't be a humanity left if they don't manage to do this properly. The Council puts it to a vote, of which a handful vote in favor, three of them vote against, and the rest abstain putting the Foundation firmly at war against the mutants. O5-2 disconnects from the call afterwards, situated in one of 13 bunkers located in highly secretive places around, inside, or near the planet. These bunkers are filled with the most advanced technology on the planet, and O5-2 specifically is a massive structure surrounding a single central room located a kilometer beneath the desert. This bunker would normally be impervious to any earthquake, hurricane, or even asteroid that tried to harm it, but currently it had a huge hole in it, thanks to some enterprising mutants. The bunker surrounding O5-2's room is a labyrinth that utilizes anomalous machinery to bend space, meaning that if someone doesn't know the exact correct path to the center, you could walk for 100 kilometers inside of the bunker and never get close. Miles of these corridors were currently destroyed, with turrets sitting as smoking wrecks, and a number of humanoid bodies lay torn apart. One indistinct melted red corpse has its fist embedded in the broken remains of a Scranton reality disruptor, the air around it sputtering and rippling. A broken laser grid defense system quietly whirs with sparks dripping off of it, an emotionless body made of sparkling crystal lay in pieces in front of it, covered in scorch marks. 
further into the bunker, whole walls are torn apart and corroded, one chewed to pieces by a swarm of fiery moths, and another had been turned to rock candy before being shattered. A turret was currently being chewed on by a T-Rex made of plasma. Someone's body had been crumpled by reality compressing to two dimensions before being rolled up into non-existence. A missile the size of a person was hovering in the air, encased in bone, and a defense drone had been melted into a puddle of cheese. The Scranton reality anchors placed throughout the facility had simply sat and watched, defenseless against such an impressive tide of anomalous forces. In the central room, O5-2 and two Foundation agents were preparing for the inevitable breach of mutants. They were each inside of a highly advanced suit of armor that made them effectively anomalous themselves, with an AI to assist with combat maneuvers. Their only problem was that there were really only two of them to fight. The suits were highly experimental, and they were still powering up. As the attacking mutants explosively breached the wall of the central chamber, one of the agents, Palinez, puts up a force field to block a massive blast of fire from a mutant's hand. A mutant with two arms that are holding two more arms made of brass is leading the charge of about 25 total mutants. The agents don't back down, however, and Agent Figueroa knocks the first wave back with a pulse of energy before shooting a gray-skinned, two-headed man in the chest with a laser. Another mutant extends their veins and arteries out of their body, now ending in sharp points and begins trying to pry into Figueroa's suit, while another blasts her with magma. The suit releases a burst of electricity to deal with the vein mutant, but they held on while screaming in pain. Yet another mutant, one with only mouths on its face and neck, opens them and screams with devastating sonic force, but Figueroa manages to swing the vein mutant into the path of the waves, disintegrating him. One down, 24 to go. Meanwhile, Agent Palinez had just barely managed to escape from another plasma dinosaur, eliminating it with a magnetic field generator, but an older mutant had affixed both of Palinez's feet to the floor with an ultra-strong adhesive. The same mutant was now working to dissolve the suit of armor using acid, while two other mutants restrained him. Palinez diverted some extra power to his right leg to dislodge it, taking some floor with it, and then proceeded to cut the older mutant in half with an energy blade, but the acid was doing its work. A mutant in the back named Rita had been waiting for her opportunity, and now it was here. She extended a single hair from her arm, which rapidly grew in length, and stretched across the room towards Palinez, who desperately tried to blast it away. The single hair wormed its way into a millimeter-wide breach in the suit created by the acid, and weaved its way through the layers and cracks, past the undersuit, and onto the agent's skin, where it touched a hair on his arm. In Rita's mind, she spoke a single word, the one that was now etched onto the DNA of her every cell. Thrive. Agent Palinez felt a pinprick on his arm, followed by a shudder through his body, making every hair stand on end. Then, the hairs began to grow quickly, some doubling back into his skin, creating more and more hair, filling the suit. The pressure began to crush him, and the hair suffocated him, 
quote the tale, a bad hair day indeed. As Agent Palanez asphyxiated and his heart stops, the suit executes a final command, self-destruct. Pieces of the outer shell shoot out at twice the speed of light as the suit explodes, turning Rita and the two mutants that had been holding Palanez into nothing but atoms and light. It's not looking great for the Foundation's team here, as that still leaves plenty of mutants left to fight one agent and an overseer. The mutant that had been holding two arms steps up, and we learn that this is actually a former SCP, numbered 3589. His real name is Armando Rivera, and his anomalous trait was being able to manifest new arms when his were removed. These arms grew rapidly, he felt no pain during the process, and although it was possible, albeit much more difficult than normal, for an exterior force to remove his arms, he himself could easily pull off his own arms. The new arms he grows can be of wildly random substances and compositions, including animal arms, liquids, gases, or amorphous materials. Additionally, Armando retained some degree of control over these arms after being detached, depending on how many he attempts to control at once. The mutant infection, rather than giving Armando a completely new ability, magnified his existing anomalous trait to new heights. He now has far greater control over his detached arms, and can actively choose what substances his new arms are composed of. Being a former Foundation prisoner, it's pretty clear that Armando has a personal vendetta here. Armando creates an arm composed of a high explosive, and using several more arms in a chain, wraps it around Agent Figaro's neck before detonating it. The explosion throws the remaining mutants backwards and fills the room with smoke, but another mutant manages to convert the smoke into a large number of metal needles, which he throws at the agent. The agent, however, deflects the needles into a different mutant, and activates an artificial gravity generator to bring the mutants to their knees. Activating this took a big chunk of the suit's power, but Figueroa hopes to pick them off while they're pressed down. She approaches a gold-skinned woman, but the woman manifests a shield around herself and the scaly man next to her. Rather than trying to break the shield, Figueroa amps up the gravity generator for a split second to crush the two of them, but this causes the generator to shut down. Figueroa's in a tough spot, as Armando's explosion had managed to crack her armor, her partner was dead, and her suit was running out of power. By this point, only three mutants remained. As Armando and another mutant rush Figueroa, the agent lets loose a sonic pulse, blocked by Armando growing the wing of an extinct, anomalous bat. The other mutant leaps into the air, and Armando uses several arms to swing him downwards towards the agent. Figueroa puts up a shield to block the attack, but the mutant suddenly increases his mass 100-fold, smashing through and knocking Figueroa to the ground. Armando pins her there with 17 metallic arms, while the other mutant uses his ultra-dense fists to continually smash her. The armor was really in trouble now, and Figueroa activates a magnetic repulsor field to send the metallic arms flying. She then utilizes a psychic amplifier to liquefy the other mutant's brain. 
She wasn't out of trouble, though, as Armando had manifested the front leg of a Brachiosaurus and was slamming it down towards her face. She manages to block this, though, and fires two balls of energy at Armando. Using several long tentacles, Armando manages to tear off some of Figueroa's armor as she sends him flying with a shockwave. Growing desperate, Armando manifests more mass than he's ever attempted before, growing an arm with a nanometer-thick neutron star skin, which is rather ridiculous to say the least. The sheer force of gravity from this arm pulls Figueroa straight towards him, and he proceeds to slam the arm into her midsection, the blow sending cracks spiraling through the suit of armor and breaking the faceplate. Despite this, Figueroa was confident that she would be victorious, as she reaches to her side and throws a null grenade into the air. The gravity of the arm pulls the grenade in, but Armando tosses the arm away as hard as he can. The grenade explodes, leaving an empty void of reality where the arm was. Using her last bit of suit power, Figueroa diverts energy to her palms, releasing a blast of continuous blue plasma towards Armando. Armando began manifesting arms as quickly as he could to block the attack, but things were looking dire. Suddenly, though, Figueroa stopped, the plasma disappearing as she lets out a single cry of pain. Her right arm and face swiftly turn to translucent crystal, and Armando turns to see the other mutant still living, who was on the floor, straining to keep her four eyes open. This mutant had the ability to turn anything she focused on into salt, and although the suit was rapidly reversing the transmutation, it was too late for Figueroa, whose heart crystallized. The other mutant succumbed to her injuries at this point, leaving only Armando and O5-2 in the room. Despite the O5 being equipped with the same suit as the other two, he was not prepared for combat, and Armando soon stood victorious over the shattered remains of his suit. As O5-2 coughs up blood, he asks Armando if it was worth all the lives he had to throw away to get here. Armando finds that pretty ironic coming from an overseer of the Foundation, and says that every one of them volunteered for this battle. They knew what they were doing, and had decided that the reward of a brand new world with no cells was worth it. Armando says that he doesn't think there's a place in this new world for him, though, and proceeds to strangle O5-2. Another crack in the foundations of the old world, hewn by the dead citizens of the new. Let's take a break from the action for now and look at the overall situation from the affected human's perspective. The following section is written as a Serpent's Hand document, and it seems members of a large number of factions are sharing communications through the Serpent's Hand, including Monica's faction in Old Vegas, the Church of the Broken God, and members of the Sarkic cults. According to the Serpent's Hand, the activation of SCP-3396 was a merging of mankind and the Fae, as it had been at some point in the past before separating. The veil over the Anomalous was broken, and the SCP Foundation, the GOC, and even the UIU have crumbled because of it. Jake from Old Vegas chimes in to say that he knows the Foundation, 
and it's foolish to think they're done with them yet. At this point, at least one in three humans have been affected by SCP-3396, and very little can compare with their combined might, with more humans being converted every day. None of the Serpent's hand members are aware of the source of the changes, though, that being SCP-3396, since the infection has spread way beyond that location. Even if they were aware of it, it wouldn't exactly explain things, since whatever is behind 3396 seems to be impossible to communicate with. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're given an illustration taken from the seventh book of apocryphal visions that is believed to depict current or future events regarding this awakening, but they're not sure what it means. We'll find out later. Moving on to discussing what they do know, they know that every human affected by the change shares three traits. One being the growth of new luminescent organs throughout the body, possessing magical barriers that no one has been able to bypass thus far. These organs provide the magical energy needed to power the individual's abilities, and the author suggests that a single affected individual can produce more energy than the strongest living magic users. The second trait these humans share is the mutations, which is a concept that has existed previously in the world of magic, but usually only when rituals went wrong, and never in a positive way. They have attempted to try and figure out exactly how the mutations, the organs, and the fluid from 3396 works, but so far they've been completely unsuccessful. It seems to defy any sort of previous thinking they had on the matter, as the entire process is governed by a single word, thrive. Somehow this command generates its own magical domain and source of magic in a way that defies fundamental physics. Since you're likely not a wizard, it's okay if you don't understand all that, because the serpent's hand doesn't either. The third commonality between the affected humans is that they all are linked together in a magical network the epicenter of which seems to be in the western United States, in an area controlled by the Foundation. This would, of course, be 3396, but again, they're not sure yet if that's where the source of the power is, or just a geographic focus. There's just a lot that they don't know or understand about the whole thing, although they have a tremendous amount of respect for it, and obviously the Serpent's Hand couldn't be happier with the shift in normalcy. An excerpt from the seventh book of Apocryphal Visions states, You will wake within the chrysalis and see the self that is written beyond the lids of the eye. The serpent shall shed its scales and spread its roots. When blue stars shine in the light of father, the meaning of life will be known. The spawn of daughter will be made to thrive. Again, we'll get some explanation for that later. 
Since the breakout of the infection, there have been three primary theories about the nature of the event. Most Sarkites believe that this event was brought on by the victory of Grand Karsist Ion over Yaldabaoth. Neo-Sarkics have long believed that Grand Karsist Ion, the traditional leader of the Sarkic cults, was killed some time ago, while the Church of the Broken God believed that he was instead imprisoned. Proto-Sarkics believe that he instead ascended beyond this plane of existence to do battle with the creation deity, Yaldabaoth, on humanity's behalf. They now believe that he was victorious and has consumed the divine flesh, blessing the chosen people of Earth so that they can create a utopia. It would seem that there has been violent reactions between the 3396 infection and Neo-Sarkic Karsis, who served Yaldabaoth, which supports this theory. Thanks to the popularity of this theory, Sarkicism belief is at an all-time high across the globe. Defectors of the Foundation and the GOC instead believe that this event was caused by an anomaly responsible for the original creation of life. The presence of anomalies throughout history suggests that humans by their nature are not natural entities, and the sudden awakening of magical powers seems to be an evolution of this trend. In other words, they believe that humans were created by a deity to be singularly unique, and this breakout of magical abilities is just another step on humanity's evolutionary ladder. They are divided though on whether or not the deity responsible is the Abrahamic god or some other creator deity. The third theory, held by the Church of the Broken God and some older members of the Serpent's Hand, is that even though the abilities gained by the mutations are incredible and positive, they stem from a non-benevolent force. This shift in normalcy has undoubtedly led to a massive spike in global instability, and it's possible that whatever force is responsible for this may be interested in conquering or enslaving humanity in this time of disharmony. Who or what this entity is, though, is impossible to say, with the broken church suggesting that it's Yaldabaoth, but Sarkites insist that Yaldabaoth would choose the color red for mutations, not blue. Robert Bumaro, the head of the Church of the Broken God, writes that he doesn't believe it to be Yaldabaoth nor Grand Karsist Ion. All he knows is that it isn't the work of Mekane, the Broken God and the spread of magic across the world terrifies him. Another individual expresses complete disdain for whoever or whatever mutated them, because they are an ugly mess now and they can't eat or sleep anymore. A member of the Serpent's Hand responds, telling them that even though it's hard, they'll come to see that their true self is a beautiful thing, and this is merely a trial before paradise. A former Foundation site director who was an expert on ancient thaumaturgy chimes in, saying that she studied the Garden of the Second Sun and reverse-engineered rituals of the ancient devas. She says that magic has infinite manifestations, sources, and rules, none of which universally apply, except for one. Everything has a cost. 
Humanity is currently ascending thanks to magic, perhaps all the way to godhood. She wonders what price will be asked of us for this, and what will happen when they can't afford to pay it. With that, we'll leave off part two of the Apotheosis story. The scales have definitely tipped towards the new humanity, and life on Earth has fundamentally changed. The final part of the story will reveal the insights we've been looking for and find out exactly in which direction humanity is heading. We'll also catch back up with Monica, who continues to evolve. Will the Foundation ultimately prevail and restore Earth to normal, or will humanity become an unrecognizable form, alien to its prior mundane existence? There's only one way to find out.